Just wanted to say, you know, it was really encouraging and exciting to see people out here on Wednesday night. And just want to remind folks um, that maybe aren't aware yet that we are we have started our fall ministry. So that means we have supper at 5:30, uh, followed by Awana for those that are uh, fifth grade and under, uh, or we have youth group for junior high and high school. So uh, just uh, an exciting time of the year, kind of get get things started up again and uh, so encourage you to if you'd like to get involved in that please reach out um, I'm sure there are uh, spots available to help with Awana or uh, you know there's spots in uh, men's or women's Bible study as well so just it's a cool night to get together and kind of gather as a, as a church family and there's really something for every age so with that I'm gonna invite Steve to come on come on up thanks Alan I'd like to just say that if you're here and you're a guest, if you're here, the first, if this is your first time at Creekside Church for whatever reason, uh, on the bulletin there is an additional flap, uh, that's what I call it, maybe it's just an extra place to fold it, if you would, uh, for you to fill it out and then if you would tear it off, and then as you leave just on the welcome table out there, you could uh, tear it off and put it in there, uh, that's where we normally put our offering, but uh, that's what we'd ask you to give as your offering for us this morning. As you, if you would. Uh, just a note, there is a flyer in the bulletin about the upcoming Haiti trip, so make sure you read that. Uh, a lot of good information there. You'll be hearing more as the team uh, gets ready and gets re prepared to go, but they're in the process of raising some funds to help support and pray and to provide for needs in Haiti. I'd invite you to pray with me, if you would, as we continue to worship uh, through the study of God's Word. Father, uh, we come to this passage in the text and pray that you would open our eyes, uh, that we might behold truths from your word, that you would apply to our lives, that would help us to live in ways that honor you and exalt you and magnify you. I pray that you would help me because I know that uh, these are things that I need to apply more consistently, and I pray that you would work powerfully in each of our hearts. If we're here and listening or here in person or online and you are working in our hearts, I pray we'd be responsive and receptive to what you're trying to teach us. We pray for you to be glorified and magnified in Jesus' name. Amen. And uh, I don't know, I didn't say this. I guess if you're here for Sunday school, have the Sunday school kids already, they already took off? I don't know. Yeah, they're already good? Okay, all right, I'm good. If you have, if you're gone, you're gone. If you're not, that's good. We're glad that you're with us. Um, there's a there's a Christian ministry I read. Uh, I actually heard about this recently. A Christian ministry that I know of, and the Christian ministry had been asked if they would uh, take part in in opening a business inside of another corporation inside their walls like inside the structural building within this corporation and they they said yeah we would love to do that because they're in ministry and they can serve the employees and the clients of this business and they did that and then the company that they uh, opened this business in hired a diversity equity and inclusion director 
uh, that came to this Christian organization and said, uh, you're going to need to back down or retract your statement of faith if you want to keep your business in our company. Well, the Christian ministry said, we're not going to retract our statement of faith, and so they lost their business. Just one of the, the perils of making an alliance with the world is that, you know, you could, lose, you could lose your business or you could lose your job or you could lose your reputation or whatever it happens to be. It could be a lot of things. Uh, the sad story highlights one of the dangers, but it also highlights the, the courage and the cost of standing up for your convictions, right? They, they courageously said, we're not going to compromise, but so they lost their job or lost their, their business in it. In it. Um, and, and this um, danger, I think, of not just losing a business, but another danger that I think is more pertinent to the text that we're looking at is the danger of disobedience. And the danger of disobedience through alliance with the world that, that can come, that's fueled by this alliance with the world, when we as Christians or the Church of Christ aligns itself with worldly perspectives or worldly organizations, is that we can uh, fall into disobedience. And it has current relevance, especially I think today, in light of the pressure that's being put on Christians and Christian ministries to conform to and cooperate with the ways of the world. And the text we're looking at this morning addresses, I think, this danger of alliance with the world that could lead to disobedience to God's Word. If you have your Bibles or if you can reach under the seat in front of you and grab one of those Bibles or you have it on your phone or the device, I'm in 2 Chronicles chapter 18. And in 2 Chronicles 18 provides us with three incentives. I think, for obedience to God's word, rather than being aligned with the world, rather than tethering ourselves to what the world has to say, we should be focused on and drilled in on obedience to God's word. I'm going to read a portion of the text. I'm not going to read all of 2 Chronicles 18, but I'm going to read down through verse 22. So you'll follow along with me. 2 Chronicles chapter 18, verse 1. Now Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor. And he allied himself by marriage with Ahab. And some years later, he went down to visit Ahab at Samaria. And Ahab slaughtered many sheep and oxen for him and the people who were with him and induced him to go up against Ramoth-Gilead. Now, some of your versions would say Ramoth in Gilead. So Ramoth is a city in the region of Gilead, okay? And he said to him, I am as you are. Oh, wait a second. And Ahab, uh, king of um, king of Israel said to Joshua, king of Judah, will you go up with me to Ramoth Gilead? And he said to him, I am as you are, and my people as your people, and we will be with you in battle. Moreover, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire first for the word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel assembled the prophets, 400 men, and said to them, shall we go up against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I refrain? And they said, go up. For God will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not yet a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man but by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. He is Micaiah, 
the son of Imla. But Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah, Imla's son. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting each on, the, on his throne, arrayed in their robes. And they were sitting at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Chenaanah, made horns and, and, uh, of iron and for himself and, and said, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore the Arameans until they are consumed. And all the prophets were prophesying thus, saying, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and succeed, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. And then the messengers who went to summon Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Behold, the words of the prophets are uniformly favorable to the king. So please let your word be like one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what my God says, that I will speak. And when he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall I refrain? And he said, Ah, go up, succeed, for they will be given into your hand. And then the king said to him, How many times must I adjure you to speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. Then the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would pro not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab, king of Israel, to go up to and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said this, while another said that. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, How? And he said, I will go and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And then he said, You are to, uh, you are to entice him and prevail also. Go and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of these your prophets, for the Lord has proclaimed disaster against you. Now I know that's a lot. It's, uh, I stopped a little bit short, but here we see, I think, in this and the rest of the text, three incentives for obedience to God's word, rather than being aligned with the ways of the world. And first of all, the first incentive is the inherent corruption of worldly alliances, okay? They're inherently corrupt. Second Chronicles, just so we get up to speed a little bit here, Second Chronicles is a, is a history of God's people. It's history of God's people from the death of King Saul until the time that they went into exile in Babylon. So it covers that period of history. Now the text I just read, or the portion of the text I just read, has to do, it's, it's one of many texts in 2 Chronicles that relates the events after the division of the kingdom. So the kingdom of Israel was the kingdom. And then it was divided in 1 Kings chapter 12. Ten tribes to the north, two tribes to the south. Okay, So this is one story that's particularly focused on the, the people and the kings of that southern kingdom. And how God works, and this is Second Chronicles, how God works to show his favor to the kings and the people in the southern tribes when they're faithful to the Lord and when they obey his word and how he, he prospers and he, he takes care of them, their activity and, and, and their, their work when they live obediently to him. And so 
Second, uh, Second Chronicles introduces us to three characters. Uh, the first character is Ahab. He's the wicked king of the northern tribes of Israel. And each one of these people have a relationship with God. Ahab's was uh, actually, he was faithless. <laughs> he was a pagan. I mean, he was not a, a follower, a true follower of, of God. Then we have Jehoshaphat, who's the king of the southern tribes. And he, in the text that we're looking at, is rather fickle in his faith towards God. And then we have Micaiah, who's the prophet, and he's absolutely faithful to, to God. And so there are three factors, I think, in the text that reveal the corrupting influence of worldly alliances. Now, the first one doesn't necessarily reveal the corrupting influences, but it shows how those alliances took place. And the first one is that a worldly alliance, alliances are initiated, or they were initiated, they aren't necessarily now, they were by marriage. So it says in the text that Jehoshaphat uh, had, had allied himself in, by marriage with, with Ahab. Okay. Now, Ahab was a wicked guy. Uh, in 1 Kings chapter 21, uh, I don't know if we have that. We have 1 Kings 21? Got it? Yeah, 1 Kings 21. It says, There certainly was no one like Ahab who gave himself over to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Because Jezebel, his wife, incited him, he also acted very despicably in following idols, conforming to everything that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord drove out from the sons of Israel. He was a nasty guy. So in light of the fact that Ahab was a wicked guy and the fact that Jehoshaphat had been blessed by God, and if you look with me, if you have your Bibles open, you can turn to chapter 17, verses 3 and five, three through 5. And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father David's earlier days and did not seek the Baals. These are idols. But he sought the God of his father and followed his commandments and did not act as Israel did. So the Lord established the kingdom in his control and all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat and he had great riches and honor. Now if you, see, you see in chapter 18 verse 1, he had great riches and honor. Why did he have great riches and honor? Because he had been faithful to God. And he'd been faithful to God, and God blessed him with riches and honor, and he was held up by the people. So he didn't need this alliance with Ahab. That's the point I'm trying to make. Ahab was a nasty guy. Jehoshaphat was following God and had been blessed and taken care of, so he didn't need to enter into this alliance. But he did. <laughs> His son, Joram, married Ahab's daughter. Okay? And so that was years earlier, but, and it created this alliance. But we see the problem of the alliance, chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. Then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned in safety to his house in Jerusalem, and Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked, speaking about Ahab and the people of Israel, and love those who hate the Lord and so bring wrath on yourself from the Lord? Should you love the wicked and help those who hate the, hate the Lord? No, you shouldn't. That's the issue. So that was the, the result of it. And <clears throat> Paul says basically the same thing. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. James chapter 4, verse 4 
<clears throat> James says that friendship with, with the world is enmity towards God. Okay? So friendship with the world is enmity towards God. So this is the danger of entering into this sort of thing. Now you say, well, I thought we are supposed to be friends of the world. Well, God sent us to seek and to save the lost, right? Which means that we make friends of people who are in the world. But the idea of being friends with the world and, and embracing them, no. What he's not saying is that we don't adopt or affirm their perspectives and their practices. I can befriend people who are in the world. That doesn't mean I have to be like them. That doesn't mean I have to follow all of the things they do and say. No, I'm not supposed to do that. I'm not supposed to help those who hate God. So I'm not supposed to jump in, in the yoke and, and work with them to accomplish stupid stuff. Okay? We've seen it. We've seen it. We see this in our culture today. Now, the BLM organization, Black Lives Matter organization, as an organization, one of their express statements is to destroy the Western nuclear family. The American Medical Association, one of their expressed statements is they're promoting the, the, the murder of unborn children. The National Education Association, one of their major uh, thrusts now is to disseminate uh, critical theory, critical race theory in every all 50 states. And critical race theory is, is, is a Marxist-based theory, and it is also racist. Every one, each one of those things I mentioned, their main objectives are antithetical to Christianity. Opposite of Christianity. So to jump in the yoke with them and to go along with them. Now, that's not to say that maybe something that they're about is, is a good thing, but to join the organization and to get wholehearted with it, I think we need to take a, a step back. Secondly, worldly alliances are implemented by manipulation. Ahab had a two-pronged approach to, to solicit Jehoshaphat's help, okay, in capturing uh, the Syrian city of Ramoth in, in Gilead. First of all, this was, as I labeled it, a fabulous welcome. If you look at verse 2, and some years earlier, or years later, uh, he, that is Jehoshaphat, went down to visit Ahab at Samaria. And Ahab slaughtered many sheep and oxen for him and the people who were with him, and induced him to go up to Ramoth Gilead. Oh, we had a big party, you know, through a feast for the king and his, and his entourage. And they had a, had a great big uh, blowout and did, did a lot of nice things for him. Preparing, plowing the king's heart, preparing him for the big ask. Uh, I think it was last week uh, we received a, Solicitation in the mail. Well, actually, it was an invitation. A free meal at Johnny's Steakhouse. Johnny's Italian Steakhouse. Wow. Now, I've only eaten at Johnny's Italian Steakhouse once. It's pretty good. And so you get this free meal at Johnny's Steakhouse, but when you get to Johnny's, guess what? Somebody, no obligation, no obligation here to purchase anything. But when you go to Johnny's, then somebody's going to, you know, some investment person is going to tell you about how you, you can arrange your investment strategy that'll be just good for you. No obligation, though. But there's a free meal at Johnny's. You know, we're, talk, we're not talking Chick-fil-A. We're just at Johnny's Steakhouse. 
So you see, you get enticed. It's like, well, how can you say no? How could Jehoshaphat say no? The guy just had this huge feast for me. How can I turn him down? Besides, my son's married to his wife. Uh, it, it's, it's the manipulation. Then it wasn't just the, the fabulous welcome, but there were, were false prophets. If you look at verse 4, you see that, that Jehoshaphat is, is a little bit cautious. He has a little bit of integrity. Uh, moreover, Jehoshaphat, verse 4, said to the king of Israel, Please inquire first for the word of the Lord. Jehoshaphat still cares about what God thinks. Or at least he pretends to care about what God thinks. But now, look at verse 5. So Ahab says, okay, we can do that. He brought in 400 prophets. That's what the text says. He brought 400 of them in, all declaring, and every one of them, and I didn't, I've read it before, so I'm not going to reread it again, but it was 5 through 11. He brought in 400 prophets, and all of them were saying, yeah, go for it. God has given this city into your hands. Take it. You got it. It's, it's no, no, no problem. Now, what's interesting is that later in the text of chapter 18, Ahab's prophets are referred to as these your prophets. Okay? They're referred to as his prophets in verse 20, and these your prophets in verse 22, distinguishing them from real prophets. You notice because Jehoshaphat said, verse 6, but Jehoshaphat, is there not yet a prophet of the Lord here? So, so he kind of knows that Ahab has his yes men, that's what I'll call them, his, his yes men that are there saying what he wants them to say. And Jehoshaphat says, uh, you know, can we just bring in like one prophet of, of God instead of all of these false prophets that are here telling us? I mean, think about this. Now, and, and you need to understand, we need to understand the context. Verses 9 through 11, what's actually taking place. You have Ahab sitting on his throne and Jehoshaphat sitting on his throne at the gate to Samaria, and all of the prophets are uniformly and universally, unanimously saying, go, go for it. Yeah, we got it. That's the environment that they're going to bring Micaiah into. All right? Proceed. The pressure is tremendous to just go along with the worldly perspective. I'd like to submit to you that if you haven't, you will feel the pressure from the worldly perspective in your life now. The government, the media, the educators in, in, our, in our culture, in our world, they're, they're pressing upon us. They're pressuring us to embrace, to embrace critical theory. Uh, and, and I use these terms, and you might have to, I don't have time to, I, I've, previous message I've delved into the, the critical theory thing. But basically the critical theory says that there's only two groups of people, there are oppressors and the oppressed. That everybody, some people's life, lived experience uh, is most important, and so if you haven't lived that experience and you have no right to speak into their life, you can't listen to objective truth. It's based in Marxism, which is anti-God, and it is a, a system in which there's no repentance 
if you are one of the oppressors, it's just you're stuck in that, so there's no forgiveness, and it uh, actually promotes a racist perspective. They want to embrace, they want us to embrace transgenderism. They want us to embrace liberation theology where it's not the gospel of salvation by grace through faith that saves you. That's not what you need saved from. What you need saved from is your circumstances. And so the pressure is that you embrace these things or if you don't embrace it, then you're intolerant, racist, bigoted, hypocrite who fails to love like Jesus calls us to love. So who wants to be labeled as someone who is an intolerant racist bigot who doesn't love like Jesus loves and calls himself a Christian? I can't, I can't be called that. Our refusal to embrace, and this is what I want to say, our refusal to embrace God-hating Marxist and unbiblical ideologies does not make us unloving. In fact, I would argue the opposite. Now, we can be unloving in our doing that. Okay? I hope you understand the distinction. I can be unloving in my um, disagreement. That's one thing. But to disagree is not unloving. In fact, I would argue that disagreeing is loving if we do it in the right way because these things are antithetical to Christianity. They are what God hates in the tenets. And if we condone what God hates, we condemn people to hell. Isn't that, I mean, lust is a sin. Greed is a sin. Selfishness is a sin. Pride is a sin. Just like some of the other things that we say are sin in these ideologies. And if we don't turn and repent from them, we cannot be saved. So it's a loving thing to confront them. But we're tempted to participate in the worldly alliances, because if we don't go along with it, guess what? We can lose our job. Some of our families will disown us or, or reject us. We can fail a class. You know, the professor is holding the, this over your head that if you don't go along with this and say this and parrot the right things and say the right things, that you fail the class and you're paying a lot of money to, to take that class. And you need it to get the job that you want. We could be ridiculed. There's one final way in which the, the alliance causes problems. Worldly alliances are inhibited. And actually, this is, doesn't cause a problem. This is a good thing. Inhibited by messengers of God. Um, Micaiah uh, is the prophet. And Jehoshaphat says, uh, wait a second. Isn't there one guy that we could talk to? And it kind of indicates to me that Jehoshaphat... Uh, is at least trying to hear God's heart. So give Jehoshaphat credit. I mean, we, we skipped over a lot of Jehoshaphat's life in verses six, uh, chapters 16, 17, uh, 16 and 17. He, he, he's basically doing a lot of good things. So he has kind of a good heart about him. And he says, can't we just call in one prophet? Because he suspects that they're, they're the yes men. Now, notice how Ahab responds to him in verse 7. He asks a question in verse 6, and Ahab's response in verse 7. And the king of Israel said, this is Ahab speaking, to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man uh, whom we could call in, but I hate him. I mean, he never says anything I like. Uh, that's my paraphrase, okay? It's not exactly from the text. He never says anything I like. Now, notice how Jehoshaphat replies to Ahab in verse 8. He says, or verse, end of verse 7, let not the king say so. 
don't go there. Let's at least hear from him. Let's at least hear from him. And so we have the first incentive is that there's corruption in worldly alliance. Secondly, we see the invaluable communication of truth regardless of the consequences. We must communicate the truth regardless of the consequences. And several facts from Micaiah's life and his example reveal the importance of communicating the truth. First, we see Micaiah speaking truth amidst the pressure. In verses 8 through 12, I, we see verse 8, the situation to which Micaiah is, is called, first of all, is rather intimidating. Uh, we said that the kings of Israel were seating on their thrones and blah, blah, blah. And they're, they're all, everybody's singing the same song, go, 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 go. So that's the environment. But now look at verse 12. So the king Ahab sends a messenger to Micaiah, the prophet, and the messenger says what to Micaiah? Hey, buddy, everybody down there is singing the same song, saying, yes, go up and fight the battle. You got it, King Ahab. So you better go along with the group. That's my paraphrase. Okay, verse 12 actually says, Then the messenger who went to summon Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Behold, the words of the prophets are uniformly favorable to the king, so please let your word be like one of them and speak favorably. So you have... Everybody's singing the same song. The king's seated on the throne. Their, their authority and their power on display and everybody parroting the same verse and the messenger telling the prophet, say what he wants you to say. All to dissuade any dissent. Folks, you, you've experienced this. I've experienced this in school, on the job, in your family. Say the right thing or it's going to be bad. You're going to be in trouble. Somebody's not going to like it and you're going to make waves. Just don't make waves. Just shh. Some of you guys, your wife grabs your knee and squeezes it. Like, Don't say anything right now. This is not a good time. In class, you feel completely intimidated because if I stand up and say that I am a follower of Jesus, I'm going to be in trouble. Christian teachers and students in public education, parents, church leaders, employees, employers, were pressured to discard our concept as believers of the gender binary. Now, that's just a fancy terminology word for anybody who's not aware of it, that there's a God made men and women, period. Dudes and dudettes, that's all we got, okay? That's gender binary. We're, we're to discard the gender binary. We're supposed to declare people are either oppressors or oppressed based upon skin color, which is racism. Now, do some people oppress and are some people oppressed? Yes, but that's not just a function of skin color, okay? We're supposed to disregard scriptural teaching on sexuality, on ethnicity, and on equality. And I've said this before, in Genesis 1, God made them all one race. 
the human race. Okay. And we're to teach, treat each other as every single life has value, equal value. Wherever, in the womb, outside the womb, about to die, mentally deranged, all life has value. Equal value before God. We're, 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 we're taught that we're supposed to demand equal outcomes for everyone. The pressure is to be current, not biblically correct. Current in your thinking. You don't want to be on the wrong side of history, you know. When, when history is written, you don't want to be one of these people standing over here on the, on the out, on the out is the pressure. So truth amidst pressure. And then B, truth as a priority. Man, if, if there's one phrase or one statement in this whole text that you should underline, highlight, circle, asterisk, uh, put stars by it, it's Micaiah's response in verse 13. But Micaiah said... As the Lord lives, what my God says, that I will speak. <laughs> That's my prayer. Uh, that, that, that what God says, I will speak. And uh, there's two evidences of truth as a priority. First is the pledge, which is in verse 13. May it be ours also. Now, I read this quote, so I'm going to, uh, if you want to try to find it, I couldn't, I, I read it, and then I went back to try to find the source of it, and I couldn't find the source of it. So I'm going to roughly quote it the best I can remember. And someone said this. They said, if, if uh, a dog barks when its master is threatened, okay, a dog barks when its master is threatened, how can I be silent when God's word is attacked? God spoke audibly to Micaiah, okay, the prophet. He speaks through us and to us with his word. So we speak the word of God as it is written in the book in the same way with the same authority that Micaiah spoke that which God audibly communicated to him. And I ask, well, why is he so committed to God's word? To speak what my God says, that I will speak. Why? Source determines significance. If you're employed, you do not listen to what your fellow employees instruct you to do over and against what your supervisor tells you to do. What the supervisor says is what you listen to, not what the fellow employee said. If you're a, 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 if you're a child and you're smart, you will listen to your parents and not what your peers tell you to say, tell you to do. Okay? Why? Because they're the ones with the authority. Source determines significance of what is said. Romans chapter 3, verse 4, uh, the Apostle Paul says, Let God be true, and every man a liar. I thought about this in, in Micaiah's words. My God. Notice how he uses that. My God. 
If you're here and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can say the same thing. My God, what my God, what our God says, I will say. Now, why would we do that? Because of who he is. He is the sovereign king of the universe. He is the ruler, the creator. He created me. He created you. And if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he rescued you from condemnation to hell. And so he is the sovereign king. There is no greater authority. We seek no other word when we have his word because it is the final word. And he is our Savior to whom we owe all our allegiance and all of our obedience. And Paul said it. He says, the love of Christ controls me. Having considered this, that one died for all, therefore all died, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. 1 Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 15, verses uh, 14 and 15, I think. Yeah. So we pledge to speak God's word, and then we practice Speaking God's truth. Micaiah didn't just talk the talk. He walked the walk. And he, he walked right into it. And uh, verses 14 and 15, it says this. And when Micaiah came to the king, the king said, Micaiah, shall we go up to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I refrain? Now, text, the, the scripture is really fun. And, and especially we see it here. And so what does Micaiah say? He says, oh, go up. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm embellishing a little bit, okay? All you read in the text is, go up and succeed, for they will be given into your hand. But we know he's being absolutely sarcastic based upon Ahab's response in verse 15. Look at Ahab. Then, verse 15, then the king said to him, how many times have I, must I adjure you to speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So it was totally sarcastic. Yeah, go on. No, don't go on. He was being absolutely uh, sarcastic. So in verses 16 to 22, we have what he spoke in truth in the name of the Lord. So verse 14, sarcasm. Verses 16 to 22, that's the real deal. That's the truth that he spoke in the name of the Lord. And basically, uh, to summarize it, he's saying, war with Assyria ends badly for you. I mean, the people are scattered like sheep without a shepherd, the no master, which means uh, you're dead. That's it. Well, that's how it's going to end, Ahab. Now, remind you that he's walking into and declaring this in front of Jehoshaphat and Ahab seated on their thrones while all the other prophets are around saying, oh yeah, go, 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 go. And he said, I think it's pretty gutsy. Because the king, I mean, it's like you don't, you cross the king. That's one of the options is you're, you're outed. It reminded me of a story, and forgive me if I've, I've shared this before. But there's a young, young gal who was a Christian, and she was a valedictorian of her class. And she was told by the administration, you know, valedictorians now, the, at a public school, you have, to, you have to submit your speech to the, because we don't have free speech in the schools. You have to submit your speech to the, to the administration. 
And so she had written a speech, which was, as a Christian, was not totally acceptable to the administration. And they said, you cannot mention God or Jesus in your speech. I may, I may not have all the details right there. but And so she did her speech. And at the end of her speech, she says, you know what? I'd really love for all of you to join me in saying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. She didn't say Jesus. She didn't say God, but she did. Pretty gutsy. Now Ahab's criticism in verse 17 is, See Jehoshaphat, I told you that guy was a knucklehead. He always speaks evil against me. Now Jehoshaphat's response, I mean it escalates the tension, you know, but, but Micaiah responded with, with courage. He responded with conviction. He didn't cower. He didn't capitulate. This is the challenge for you and me. What my God says, that I will speak. Regardless of the consequence. Because he wasn't weighing the options here. And he said, and uh, he said, that uh, he had seen the Lord. I saw the Lord, he says. Now, again, I'm paraphrasing. We've read it. You can read it again. I saw the Lord seated on his throne. Ooh, kind of reminds me of another passage like in Isaiah 6. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. I saw the Lord seated on his throne. And guess what? There were hosts on his right and hosts on his left. And uh, so there these angelic beings were. Were. And then there's the question that comes in verse 19, which, you know, okay, this is maybe problematic uh, for some. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab, the king of Israel, to go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? So God is asking, who's going to incite the guy? Which one of you spirits, you angelic beings here, is going, now they're not all good ones, okay? So <laughs> which one's going to go up? It affirms, now I'm going to say this, I think the prerogative of God to work through spirits to incite evil in the hearts of wicked men that either end in their punishment or their repentance. And we see how it worked out for him. Okay, you see this in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Uh, the, the Lord sent an evil spirit in Saul, okay? And in, in also in 1 Samuel 16 and 1 Samuel 18. And the declared result of the enticement will be Ahab's demise because he said, okay, you do this and it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work out. Now in verse 20 it says, a spirit, which is an interesting phrase, a spirit, which I, I believe is a reference to Satan, um, is a spirit said, I will do it, likely refers to Satan. Similarly in Job chapter 1 where the the, the, they were going around the throne and, and Satan says, yeah, I'll, I'm going I'm to go down. What about your servant's Job? He only serves you because you're good to him. And God gave him a, an opportunity to test him. He'll be a deceiving spirit in the, in the prophet's mouth. And God gave him permission and he promised him success. And Micaiah pulls no punches uh, in declaring that Ahab's prophets, uh, if you're with me, he says that Ahab's prophets are your prophets. Verse 22. 
Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of these, your prophets, for the Lord has proclaimed disaster for you. This is the king who can often. So just imagine it's the professor who can fail you. Imagine it's your family who can out you. Imagine it's your employer who can fire you. This is him. The Lord has declared disaster. He was the lone dissenting voice. Your war against the Syrians will lead to your own ruin. So will we be the only voice at the school board meeting objecting to pornographic material that's in the school library? Will we be the only employee refusing to steal or lie because that's what the boss asks us to do? Or the only person saying that just to provide for a person's physical needs is not the gospel. They must hear the truth that Jesus went to the cross to pay the debt for our sins so that all who would repent and turn and trust in him are saved. Yes, providing food and clothing and shelter may be an avenue to share the gospel and a demonstration of God's love, but it is not the gospel. We'd be the only voice in our family to declare that all human life has value, even life inside the womb, especially life inside the womb, that you cannot take that life. We'd be the only church saying discrimination against any ethnic group, any person of any color is sin. Will we be the lone voice, the lone church in our community to condemn sin rather than to condone it, while communicating forgiveness only through the person and work of Jesus. Truth-telling is pricey. That's the, the final point under this main. Verse 23, what happened? He got punched. Okay, We may get punched. You may get punched in the gut physically. You may get punched in the gut uh, or in the face literally. Or you may get punched figuratively. Makes me think of a story. <laughs> Christian missionary in India. And he was proclaiming the gospel out on the street corner. He didn't see it coming, but uh, a camel walked by and left a fresh deposit of camel dung on the street. And a young boy grabbed, scooped up a handful of it and shoved it into the missionary's mouth right as he was preaching. Because he was preaching in a Hindu culture against the wishes of many of the people. The missionary rinsed his mouth out with tea and, 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 and then proceeded to preach. There was a man there called a haji, and a haji is a person who is respected in the community because he's made many trips to, to, to the Holy Land. He is seen and, and revered. And the haji came to him and he says, Oh, why, why, why do you not become like me? Actually, uh, he wasn't in India. He was in Pakistan, and it was not Hindus, but Muslims. And so he, he said, uh, so just correcting the story there. And so he said, Haji, he'd made many trips to Mecca. He was honored. And he says, why would I become like you if I, were to, if I was like you to treat people as horribly as I have been treated? And Haji says, oh, he says, Hmm, if I were to listen to you much longer, I may become as you are and become a Christian, but uh, I cannot do that. 
We may get physically hurt or some such case. Secondly, well, you know, we might, we might be punched, but we might be imprisoned. And some have been. I've told you the story of, of Pastor o, uh, James Coates up in Canada who was imprisoned in a high-security prison for 35 days because he refused to stop proclaiming the gospel. He wouldn't comply with the government's orders that kept the people in the church from gathering to hear the Word of God because they said that Christ, not the government, is the head of the church, so we will continue to meet even though the government says we can't, and he went to prison. It's a high price to pay. Folks, 1 Timothy 3.12 says we're going to suffer. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now we need to prepare to honor the Lord in our suffering and to do it in a respectful and humble way as God gave us the example through the person of Jesus. You can write it down in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21-23. through 23. Because Jesus was reviled and he did not revile in return. He entrusted himself and to him who judges righteously. Now this is nice stuff to say, but I, you know, I mean, when push comes to shove... Whew. Is that how we're going to live? This is the challenge for us in the church of Jesus Christ. And I find it really interesting because uh, in verses 23 and 24, 23 through 27, uh, both the Zedekiah and Ahab give parting shots at Micaiah. One guy says, oh yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, uh, why, why did the Spirit of God come from me to you? And Micaiah says, yeah, well, when you're cowering under a table somewhere, again, my paraphrase, uh, then you'll know. And then Ahab says, well, take him back and, 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 and feed him, you know, a little bit until I return. And Micaiah says, uh, if you return, I have not told the truth. Parting shots. And so we see in this text, first of all, that there's inherent corruption in our worldly alliance. And there is invaluable communication to communicate God's word regardless of our, 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 the result. And then finally, the inevitable cost of worldly disobedience. Each of these three uh, people, there's a result. There's a consequence that confirms the, the cost of disobedience. Jehoshaphat was delivered, okay? But he was disciplined. He was rescued. The, the, I didn't read this part of the story. You've got to go back and read this part of the story. It's, it's really kind of comical. So they're going to go into battle, and Ahab tells Jehoshaphat, he says, oh, hey, here, you put on the royal robes. You know, you put on the royal robes and ride this royal uh, and, and look real kingly, and then I'm going to just put on commoner clothes and kind of blend in with the crowd. And Jehoshaphat's dumb enough to do it. And we find out that the, the king of Syria says, don't fight with anybody except the king of Israel. So, you know, you got a target on your back. Oh, here I am. Come after me. And so that's what they did. They went after Jehoshaphat. Again, this is all my paraphrase, okay? And Jehoshaphat, says, he's going, Lord! I mean, he realizes it, it's coming on him. And he says, he cried out, and, and this is a quote, the Lord, he cried out and the Lord helped him. And God drew them away from him. He drew the people away from him, the, the enemies. Folks, Jehoshaphat had heard God's word through Micaiah. He knew he was being disobedient to God, deliberately disobedient to God. And yet we see a marvelous demonstration of God's grace. 
of God's mercy. Did he deserve judgment? Absolutely. And what he received in a physical way is a picture of what every person who puts their faith or their trust in Jesus Christ receives in a spiritual way. We deserve God's judgment because of our sin, but when we confess our sins and turn to Christ and understand that He bore our sins in His own body on the cross, that we might be redeemed. That He died. That God made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. Saved from what? Not saved from the Syrian army, but saved from condemnation to hell. So what Jehoshaphat experienced in the physical realm, deliverance from the consequences of his rebellion, which would have been death, we experience spiritually deliverance from the consequences of our rebellion, spiritual separation from God. It's a beautiful picture of God's mercy and great grace. God is holy and just. He must punish our sin. So in, us, in order for us to be punished, we must sin. Well, that's everybody. But the fact is that Jesus died in our place so that we don't have to be punished if we put our trust in him. So how can I not tell people that they're sinning? Because if they don't realize and know that they're sinning, they can't turn from their sin. And if they don't turn from their sin, they cannot be saved. And when you're saved, you realize that it's from your sin and you're appreciative of it. And then Jesus rose again the third day to prove that we're justified before God. That's Romans chapter 4, verse 25. What God did for Jehoshaphat physically he will do for us spiritually when we confess with our sin, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. I ask you today, do you believe? Because if you do, then you are saved. And if you do not, then Ahab's plight is yours. What he experienced physically, all of us are going to experience. But in a spiritual sense, we're going to be separated from God for eternity, so I don't want that. Now, the, the hard part is that Jehoshaphat's uh, deliverance didn't <laughs> deliver him from the damage of his disobedience. We see that in chapter 19, verses 1 and 2. He still had some consequences from his sin. Same with us. We can be saved from our sin in the sense that we're going to go to heaven, but some of the consequences of our sin we still got to pay for. I mean, we're still dealing with, okay? So that's just the reality of it. What happened to Ahab? Well, no, he died, okay? He was defeated and he died. I find it ironic and I find it sovereign that the guy with the target on his chest, wearing the royal robes, is delivered, and the guy hiding in the shadows is killed. It just says in the text, fabulous. Oh, some guy randomly took an arrow and he shot it, and it hit Ahab, just randomly. You know, and God is sovereign in it all. And Micaiah, Micaiah is vindicated. Everything he said was going to happen, happened. So if you're here this morning, you're listening online, and remember, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that the ruin of those who live in rebellion is certain. It's certain. Repent and believe, and you too will be saved. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the promise in Acts 16.31. And if you're here this morning and you know Jesus, 
as your Lord and Savior. Hey, avoid alliances with the world. Don't jump in the yoke with them. Don't tether yourself to the world because it's only leading to destruction. Doesn't mean you shouldn't be in the world. Doesn't mean you shouldn't know unbelievers. Doesn't mean we shouldn't befriend them. Doesn't mean we shouldn't share the gospel with them. Doesn't mean we shouldn't hang out with them. Just don't be like them. And finally, let us be tenacious and true to speak the word of God. Tenacious and true to speak the truth of the word of God. And you know, as we close our service with the taking of the, the elements, the bread and the cup, they're, they're symbols of Christ's body that's broken and his blood that's shed. They show the extent of God's love. This morning in our first service is a wonderful reminder that the cross is the ultimate demonstration of God's love. Some of you are living in a, in a, in a not-so-nice place right now. And you say, does God really love me? And I had someone say, and I'll repeat it again, we ever doubt God's love, just look at the cross. That the sinless Son of God died so that we could be saved from our sin. The Father sacrificed His Son so that we could be saved. He, uh, he turned His back on His Son so that we could be welcomed into His family. Such love uh, deserves our allegiance and our obedience to the exclusion of worldly alliance. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your son. We pray in Jesus' name.